0: Welcome everyone. Thanks for coming to Tea and Contemplation. Maybe it's morning where you're practicing or it's afternoon, or if you're listening to us on the recording some other time during the day, but you know, taking a moment to acknowledge that this is a little slice of your day of your time that you have chosen to carve out for yourself to take some time to take care of things inside. And so, you know, thank you for that. That's sweet. We know that that's, that's hard. That's definitely not easy, um, especially this time of year when we're getting so busy. So every little bit makes a difference. And so that's really awesome that you have decided to be able to um, create that space for you today. And with today's subject in particular, I think that this is an important consideration. So we here in November have been exploring this theme of uh, dismantling discipline. So looking at the ways that we think of what it means to be dedicated to something, to be good at something, Um, how much effort is required at that? What are we trying to prove with the amount of effort that we throw at something? Um, Because these are constructs and behaviors that I think start with good intentions, but become something that over time can become really detrimental to us um and maybe not even ideas that we came to the table with things that were the way that we would have done it if we had been asked otherwise and today's discussion in particular uh which we've titled softening the critic i think is really kind of the heart of this you know where we hear and absorb messages that are Critical for no matter how much effort we are applying to something that somehow it's just, it's not enough. It's never going to be enough. And so we're going to sit with that today and consider if there's ways that we can soften that. That we can take a different approach and somehow still yield just as great results <laughs> through being kinder to ourselves. And so to begin, while our hot water is heating... Maybe making nice little tea noises in the background. I think the water, the kettle heating is such a nice little tea noise (laughs) to pay attention to. We could take a moment to get ourselves settled in our space. So wherever you are practicing today, let's take a moment to just adjust our posture. You know, so intentionally moving any little bit that we need so that we can feel really comfortable wherever we are sitting whether that's on the sofa, or on a chair, or on the floor, sitting on a cushion, or sitting on your yoga mat, just wherever you're at today, and just noticing the space that you are in today. So what is the light like in your space today? Whether that's from sun, or from lamps, or from candles, Is the source of the light steady or is it moving or flickering? Is there anything else in your space that has a soft movement to it? Where else do you notice movement in your space today? Airflow or? Sounds in your space, sounds just outside your space. Where do you notice stillness? What is the quality of that stillness like? Some of the stillness might be like a soft little pause If you're looking, for example, at a little spot on your tea table or somewhere in your room that the eye is naturally drawn to, that feels still for you, it might feel like it's a gentle stillness and there might be other things or other objects in your room that have a more sturdy or hard stillness to them. Things that felt like they are just there. They don't move at all. They're never moving. as you notice those things, what does that feel like? To consider what feels perhaps immovable in your environment versus what is soft, what is gentle. Turning that inward for a moment, consider if there's something for you today that feels similar to these two considerations. So a space that feels like it's arrived to a gentle stillness intentional place that you are choosing to invite stillness and quiet to and that might be simply Maybe you're sitting cross-legged on the floor, and this is really the only time that you do that, is when you are in spaces of personal practice and contemplation. Maybe that's not a posture that you assume otherwise. And so for you, just being in that shape calls you to stillness. Maybe it's the way that your hands are resting in your lap that that particular shape or position that they're in somehow signals to the body that this is a place of stillness. And you might also notice other places in the body that feel like they are standing still, but it's not the same quality. They might feel like they are stuck. They might feel like it's something that just doesn't move, physically or emotionally, mentally. And without feeling like we need to solve it. Just notice the quality of the space around that kind of stillness. What does it feel like even to just observe it? Just notice this interplay in the body that both things can be true are true at the same time for us. And let's extend this same invitation to noticing to our tea. And so whenever you're ready, you're simply picking up the tea that you are wanting to practice with today, holding it in your hands, and just pause for a moment to consider why this particular tea, why was this the one that you reached for this morning? And the reason doesn't have to be super complicated or detailed or studied, it's just an acknowledgement of choice, just similar to the clothes that you put on in the morning, what's the choice? Consider that there are times during the average day where you were asked why you did something, like your personal opinion, your thoughts, your feelings on it from a point of view of just genuinely wanting to know. Either the person who's asking you or if you're so fortunate, you can ask yourself. You just genuinely wanna know. And there are other times where we don't get asked and you wish somebody had. Just pause to consider. Say hello to your tea, running our fingertips through the leaves, noticing the texture, and just allow yourself to consider why this friend today? That the asking the question is an invitation to creating intention. we can bring our tea to our nose get the leaves nice and close enjoying our in and out breath over the leaves and this is a little tricky but we're observing two things at the same time here so we are noticing what the fragrance of this tea smells like and there may be qualities that we can name around that, things that it reminds us of. We're also noticing our own internal reaction to that. We're noticing how it makes us feel. And so observe for yourself if those two qualities of thought seem like they are detached from each other, if they are separate considerations, that have no relationship, or if they're one and the same thing, if they're part of the same circle. And then whenever you're ready, we'll go ahead and serve ourselves a little bit of tea. So we just simply take a nice little pinch of leaves, somewhere between our thumb and our first few fingers. Maybe it looks like a little spoonful of leaves if you were to hold it in your hand and just place that inside your tea bowl and you may like to take more tea or take a few leaves out just depending on your own preference what you think you need today and then go ahead and make any movement in your space you need to get your hot water so whether it's right next to you or across the table or it's in your kitchen just Moving slow. There's no rush. It's like transitioning a pose on the mat, just moving from one position to another, getting our hot water. And then settling back down to your seat, allowing yourself to get comfortable again so that the tea in front of you has your full attention whenever you arrive at that spot, go ahead and start to add hot water over your leaves, going nice and slow. So you may need to hold back the stream of the water a little bit so that you can get this nice thin little ribbon of water flowing. And we can enjoy how the leaves are moving in the water and the steam that is rising from the bowl. Maybe it's extra billowy right now if you're in some place that has a cold climate here in almost late November and whenever you've added as much water as you would like go ahead and set your kettle aside and you might wish to have it someplace close by in case you'd like more water later as we continue our session today. placing the bowl so it's centered in front of you just simply so that it's directly within your line of eyesight it's where we can place our full attention adjusting our posture once again so that we feel comfortable and upright and we're just watching the little scene that's unfolding on the surface here if you've ever spent time near a lake or any other sort of body of water in the early morning, the the fog that can form on the surface. Might look something like this little scene that we see here. Notice how your leaves are settling into the bowl. Some at the bottom, like nice fuzzy moss some at the surface, spreading out, each melting and softening on their own time. Every tea that you practice with will be different. Every tea, even one that has the same name, but you purchase it in a different year, They're all the same in some aspects, and they're also all different in others. They all come from the same plant, But every time that they show up for us in our life, they are different. If it feels comfortable to do so, we can lift this tea bowl, We can bring it to our nose. We can breathe in the fragrance that's being offered. And here too, notice where your mind's tendency tends to go. What is it that you are observing and how, how are you describing it in your mind? What is the dialogue that's happening there? tea is something that in the modern historical context, in the industrial world that we spend a lot of our time in, people can be very critical of. Some folks it's their professional job to be critical of the tea. To say what is good or bad, what is acceptable or not, what needs improvement, what needs to be more of something or less of something. And even if we don't work in a profession like that, it's all around us. This type of implication for that being the way that we communicate with something, that we enjoy an experience, that we process it. So as you're breathing your tea, just notice the, the voice inside. What's the tone? Is it your own words that are coming to the surface? Your own impressions or memories? Or is it someone else's? And likely it might even be a mixture of both. know that it's okay as well that what you're experiencing and encountering with this tea it may not be exactly what you had in mind today so that's a a similar path that walks alongside this discussion we're having now but it's it's a different intention it's a different expression to feel the freedom of the agency to say This is not for me. You know, that's something that a lot of folks work very hard at. It's welcome. It's very important. So it's okay to sit with the tea and just acknowledge, you know, maybe this, this one I won't use next time. This one's not for me right now. That's okay. Because tea asks you to bring your whole self to the table. He is curious. He wants to hear from you. But notice if that might be different than being critical, being judgmental, being hard. That difference between the stillness that is soft, that is gentle, that is supportive versus the stillness that doesn't move. that is a hard surface in your life. And if the temperature feels comfortable, we can take a sip of this tea. Just navigating around the leaves that are floating at the surface. Sipping the leaves through our teeth, perhaps. Just noticing any little small physical shifting that we have to do to accommodate drinking tea in a pretty different way. I just notice what's being offered to you right on the surface there, where there is sweetness, where there is strength, where there is a little burst of fragrance and activity and where there is something that is lingering and unfolding and takes a while to really notice. And here too with the first sip, much like the first taste of any meal that you might have. There is a tendency to assess, to make sense of something, to understand it. That could mean describing it, that could mean noticing sensations in the body and how it feels. And just pausing to ask are these your words, your own impressions? Or is it a message that we've absorbed from somewhere? Even something as kind of passive as just the little tasting notes that are on the package of the tea and whether you agree with what's written or not. whenever you feel called to, enjoying a second sip. So this is a process of just simply taking a taste of tea, letting it settle in the body, just noticing where it goes. So what sensations in the mouth stand out and in the throat and in the chest. And when you feel like you can let that observation go, we've really held it and taken a moment to be slow just whenever you feel called to taking another sip of tea so it's just moving at a slow pace with our drinking you may also wish to pause to breathe the leaves to appreciate the fragrance more to understand what's being offered. It may take you a little bit of time. Noticing the qualities of the tea that softly evaporate that linger that move from a place of solidity to like a cloudiness a wispiness that it comes in with presence and it leaves with gentleness During the rest of our time together in this session, if you'd like to add more le- water to your leaves, you're absolutely welcome to do so. Enjoying a second bowl is really helpful to just see what else comes to the surface, see how the tea changes. But in our contemplation today with this tea, something to keep in the back of your mind and consider. There are some folks in this world whose professional livelihood depends on them to be very critical, very black and white, about the medium that they are working with. To maintain a a strict objectivity to not have a personal connection or at least if they do to not bring it into the office into the professional space where they're in with their mode of practice t is one of those there are many professions like this and it's not to say that the job of being critical and to analyze to really describe with great detail in positive or negative connotations the experience of the tea in your cup. It's not to say that that as a practice is wholly useless or doesn't inform something, but just ask yourself, is that your job? Are you the professional critic? If not, where did that come from? If you find yourself doing it towards yourself, towards the tea in front of you, where did it come from? And is it serving you? There are other ways that you can show up with the tea that you hold today. That don't involve picking it apart to all the sum of its parts. What would that look like?
1: Thank you so much, Suze, for that beautiful guidance. I love uh, this question that you asked, is it your job? You know, and I I know there's a literal question, is the role of critic your profession? But I am really enjoying thinking about what job my critic uh, thinks it has or maybe actually has and um and then that follow-up question uh is it serving is it serving me and i think that that's part of why this is such um a beautiful and poignant topic for so many of us that this sense of um the inner critic is very strong and it seems to have so many dimensions. It, for me, at various times, is my biggest obstacle. Like the biggest obstacle in my life is an aspect of my mind. Isn't that bizarre? I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of people on Earth would be like, "That would be nice." Wouldn't that be nice if that was my biggest obstacle? <laughs> And yet, you know, here I am. <clears throat> here I am living this life with this kind of strange um, inner battle. Uh, this makes me think of the uh, the observation that the theater educator activist Augusto Boal made when he transitioned his um, his work from his original context um, blanking on exactly what country he was working in, but Central America, South America. And he, he, you know, and then he came uh, to do this work uh, in the United States, I believe I think I've got that right. Anyway, the point being, he, he began uh, working in theater as a form of social justice. Basically he was, teaching people um, to perform scripts in public that the public would, you know, think was just spontaneous human behavior. Um, But the scripts would be specifically pointed to address a a social concern. It's like a really brilliant uh, way of using theater. And, um, And so, you know, when he would work with groups, because these weren't, um, these weren't his ideas. The idea was that when he'd work with oppressed groups and he would learn about their grievances and then the performances would be created based on those grievances. And then when he started working with people um, in more privileged environments, he realized that uh, the grievances were primarily internal voices. And uh, he, I believe he described that as a cop in the head. Like, people in oppressed um, environments uh, have to deal with external cops. And then people in privileged environments are working with this cop-in-the-head problem. So I suppose part of what we're talking about today is this cop-in-the-head. I appreciate Sue's elevating the con- the fact that you know criticism is actually vital. Right? There is there is an important role that criticism plays in culture and I believe also within the space of our own body minds. Um it is our it is essentially our analytical intelligence in its refined form, right? It's a kind of a way of assessing, interpreting experience, uh, and helping us, ideally helping us make decisions about uh, what's next. But there is also this dimension of that critic, which is in relationship to what we might call The architecture of consensus. So how does who I am or what I do fit within what I perceive to be a certain value structure in the world around me? And that value structure is, of course, not intrinsically virtuous. <laughs> you know, it would be one thing if it were. It'd be very different, actually. It'd be a very different inner critic if uh, the world had an intrinsic virtue or ethics. But, you know, we, we live within a very brutal... Uh, Colonial, capitalist, patriarchal, white supremacist place. There's, there's no getting around that. That, um, that is that is the ambient fabric that holds us. And so, as much um, as much as we might be committing to the beautiful discipline of retraining this internal space, there will always be, uh, this conflict of having to sort of edit or, um, ignore certain voices, you know, and as, as Sue's mentioned, you know, whose voice, whose voice is it that comes in? And there are, there are several dimensions that we might answer that question from. I certainly recognize when the voice that emerges within me is my mother's voice. Spoiler alert. It's very frequent (laughs) In my 20s, I really wanted it to be different in my 40s. I'm like, no, I'm definitely her (laughs) Shout out to my mother. She's wonderful Um, and uh, But then they're they're also like, oh, you know, I notice I notice the voice of white supremacy periodically, you know, I notice it come up and I'm like, oh Gross you know, and it and it feels like me. That's the weird part of the internal dialogue, right? And I think this is what a lot of people who don't do contemplative practice don't realize. My you know my hack theory is that this is part of the this is part of the psychology um, of like the all lives matter camp, for example. Uh, this idea that, that if I can just fixate on a sort of superficial, positive mantra, I can, I can ignore or repress uh, or really pretend that I don't see these other voices that are emerging within me. Because if you believe yourself to be a certain way and a dissonant voice enters the space of your mind, and you are not equipped to understand, you know, you haven't been trained to understand why the mind works that way. That the mind is not just like your muscle. It's not my bicep that I get to strengthen, but it's also uh, a kind of conduit of information and uh, experiences that are not just contained within my personal experience. You know, things come through the mind that have deep historical ancestral roots. Um, some, some things come through the mind that I feel are sort of not ours at all, but just part of the, uh, what was the word Jung used, the collective unconscious. Right? So I think that's part of it. For me that's part of the working with softening the critical voice. It's just knowing that um, lots of things that come through my mind don't reflect the essence of my light. So being being Adam as i intend to be Adam involves just a lot of choices a lot of curation and you could say a kind of critical voice that i that i need i need this inner critic So, you know, if I need this critic, I would like them to be cool, <laughs> you know? I would, like, I would like this voice that I have to hang out with all the time. I would like them to be someone I enjoy spending time with, you know? <laughs> that, would, that would be nice. <laughs> So I think about uh, one of the less known um, yama and niyama practices. If you're familiar with your yoga philosophy, we have these yama and niyama. That uh, the most famous ones that come from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, starting with nonviolence and continuing down. What is what is either a, a very familiar list for you or not, if you don't study the yoga. So I don't want to go into it too deeply, but uh, there is uh, there are many conceptions of what the internal postures of yoga should be. It's not just those eight, those. It's eight, I think, from the from Patan- from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. There, there are different lists of those principles in different texts, and uh, one of the uh, principles that comes up in the the Tantra is called Tarka t-a-r-k-a and perhaps the best english word to translate that is discernment and so when when something is coming up as criticism internally for me so important to ask these kind of orienting questions that Suze gave us, you know. um, Where is this voice coming from? Maybe we don't always know. But worth asking. And, you know, is its role... And maybe there is an important sort of polarity here. Is its role to enhance the luminosity that I know to be at the core of this heart? Or is its role to kind of fit me into this imagined cultural currency? And in the yoga tradition, that cultural currency, not important at all. You know, that's that's part that's part of why there are these ascetic traditions. Because folks are just like, no, I don't need any of that. <laughs> I don't need any of that uh, in order to do this internal practice. You know, it's a distraction. And I think for, for me as a householder, I hold this paradox that like, I want this, I want this life in culture, and that whole fabric of values is a distraction. So I hope that gives you a few initial prompts for your contemplation. I'm just gonna play a little ditty on my tongue drum and then we'll have some open space, in which you are welcome to share.
0: so much for joining us for Tea and Contemplation today. So Tea and Contemplation is actually offered as a live studio session every Friday morning at 8 a.m. Central Time. Adam and I host this, uh, this session live on Zoom with a, a group of fellow practitioners who are also on the path. And what you don't hear after the end of the recording here on the podcast is that we actually spend some time together as a community talking about our experiences in the practice, asking the questions that don't have answers, and supporting each other uh, in this work. So if you feel like you would really enjoy experiencing this as a communal activity, you're so welcome to sign up and to join us for a session or drop in for a whole month pass or even become a supporting member of Tea and Contemplation. The link is in our show notes to find out where to join us and we hope to see you for tea sometime soon.